I'm really excited to have the the one and only Caroline Stevens from Caroline Stevens Seeking the Truth, her YouTube channel. And Caroline, it's uh, we tried this before, by the way. We had GM on, and uh, this was uh, via uh, a cell phone conversation. I believe it was actually was through Skype, but it just for whatever reasons it, it just didn't work out. So I was a little bit disappointed by that. But Caroline, I just want you to give uh, give everybody a brief in- introduction of uh, of who you are, because I really want to get into your background politically. Uh, so if you want to give a brief introduction. Well, thank you very much for having me on your show. And yeah, I'm Caroline Stevens. We're all unique. And I guess I've made a big bit of a splash in the UK for seeking the truth. Because most people, in fact, the vast majority of people have, um, they have some things they don't want to talk about, even in the truth movement. They're, they may have financial interests. Um, or they may have been nobbled simply by the establishment. So how did I get into this? Well, just by um, luck, perchance, or an unfortunate experience, I guess. So I went into politics in 2013 after attending a meeting about how corrupt the European Union is, and I'd just been campaigning to get financial education into schools. And basically upskilling and educating the kids and the parents in understanding how to save, not go into debt. And that might seem a very simple, very basic concept, but in actual fact, you know, you look around yourselves today and you you may be walking to your office and somebody will be carrying a coffee that they've just bought en route to the office. That is quite a, a relatively new phenomenon. Um, that's a, a phenomenon that's going to cost you £15, possibly a week in the UK, just one coffee to work each day. And that, uh, you know, I don't know how much that would be in Canada, but it's a substantive amount of money. And uh, when we're talking about uh, the financial crisis, and uh, not many of us can forget what happened in 2008, 2009, with a view to it being a repeat occurrence in the next few months, you think, do these people really understand that that three pounds a day or six Australian dollars um, is going to have such an impact? You know, you can, when I went to work, my first office jobs, I used to pack up, you know, you used to do a packed lunch to go to the office and they used to give free coffees and of course people say oh no I'm too proud to have those cheap coffees from work I'll go, I'll buy a three pound coffee on the way to work but what a waste that is you should take all advantages of your employer because you don't know where your next cup of coffee might come from well that's a great introduction uh, Caroline I couldn't agree with you more and a lot of people have uh, speaking of the financial mess of 2008, people are still reeling from it, and some actually haven't uh, even recovered. Um, and and you are right, and uh, I we don't know when it's going to happen, but uh, they've been speculating uh, possibly maybe this year or even next year. Uh, but what's worst off is that this one that's going to come is going to be probably the final blow, where a lot of people are going to have to start making some really tough decisions about a lot of things. 
But I want to ask you about the UKIP party because I know you ran. I don't know if you want to talk about that or not. You like the well, you're intrigued by the UK. I am. I guess I am. You know, being across the pond, you must be. I I probably would be the same uh, about one of your political parties over there and what really makes them tick. Yes. And obviously, Nigel Farage, who led the UK party but did not form the UKIP party, I hastily add, was the person who led me and 600 and odd other people into the general election of 2015. So that is where the significance comes insofar as I was trying to unite people on a voluntary front in UKIP trying to get them on the same page because, you know, there was a guy there called Stuart Wheeler who was one of their sponsors. And I remember him being caught saying uh, that it was like herding cats. And that was the people, he was talking about the people in UKIP. So Stuart Wheeler had made, I think it's money in gambling um, and the casinos. But uh, Stuart, if you're out there, please, uh, please change, you know, please say something if that's not correct. But yes, he was a a big wheeler and dealer in UKIP. And, uh, you know, I was lucky or unlucky enough, depending on which way you look at it, to stand for the general election. And I learned so much for, you know, it's a it's an unpaid role. So most people have their own businesses to actually be able to stand. So I guess I was in the minority. I was a housewife with a husband and two children, and I was uh, subsidized by a couple of uh, people who believed in me, and they put money towards my election. But that uh, doesn't decry the fact that I actually spent possibly six days, possibly even seven days a week for a year and a half committed to the cause because I truly believed that we needed to leave the European Union but I I wasn't prepared for what happened next. All right so now the reason why I bring this up because uh, uh, Nigel Farage at one time was really someone that I looked up to. Now uh, I mean our channel is called Advocates for Direct Democracy and Nigel Farage was uh, sort of uh, championing this idea so, of course, you know, I was naturally uh, attracted to that and uh, and I was really uh, impressed with a lot of the speeches that he did in the uh, U, um, in the European Parliament. But maybe you can explain what ha- ha- has happened to Nigel Farage in the last couple of years, perhaps. Uh, he suddenly uh, uh, has a change of heart. It seems like he's uh, kind of going away from his, um, you know, from some of the beliefs for instance, uh, direct democracy. It doesn't seem like he's championing that anymore. It seems like a, a different Nigel Farage now. Well, I'm not sure he's been cloned at all, but um, I, I remember back in February 2015, and I was standing in the Stroud constituency, and there was an incinerator being built, and it needed the uh, approval of the whole of the county council so that's like one fifty second of the British Isles. That's your county. It's like your state in the USA. We had this Gloucestershire County Council. I stood as a parliamentary candidate in one of the regions, but the council was still going on. They still had their elected members, of which three were UKIP councillors. 
and uh, it was evenly balanced was the council you had almost as many uh, labor people as as Tories and UKIP had not been party to the original decision to have a an incinerator built which happened to be in my constituency so these people were having to make a decision in a bigger area that they covered a much bigger area than the area that I was standing in and I didn't have a UKIP representative for my area so I said to the UKIP people please do not vote on this you have no need to vote on this you were not party to the original decision but these three UKIP people, councillors at the time, they it was as if I was like the invisible man and I was trying to squirrel messages to them in the council meeting, which is allowable if you get the person, uh, a person goes along and can pass messages on. And I was sat in a public gallery, so I passed this message on, please do not do this. This is, this is foolhardy because the people in my constituency do not want an incinerator which potentially causes uh, deformities in unborn children to be built. And depending on the way the wind was blowing, um, there was an increased chance of these deformities. So I'm thinking, well, okay, I was, you know, I was unfortunate in the fact that I was standing in a constituency which I didn't live in, but I put myself into the position of those people who lived in that constituency and thought, well, would I want my unborn child to have those, uh, to, to be subject to those risks. But of course, they did a deal with the, um, the ruling Tories. And even though they didn't have to make a decision, they could have just abstained. They actually voted with the Tories. And it was at that point in February two, 2015 that I just realised, wow, not only politics is dirty, but it's actually all about doing deals and really who is UKIP anyway. So then, of course, um, I went to another meeting and they said, well, Caroline, you've been doing this for over a year now. You've been campaigning for UKIP. And I'll also I was trying to get all these people onto some sort of central email list. And I was sharing material that came from a group called 38 Degrees. Well, UKIP didn't want to be associated with 38 Degrees. But I don't know if, uh, if I'm like you, but I will share material or certainly would share material at that time that uh, was of good content that resonated with my heart. I didn't care whether it came from the left or the right or the you know up or the down it did not matter so long as i felt this was the truth and i started sharing this 38 degree material about e-petitions about the transatlantic trade and investment partnership and i got a, a warning message from the solicitor in ukip that says caroline you know if you are going to circulate matters pertaining to 38 degrees we will consider you sacked from UKIP. So I had a really tough decision because my friends had been going out on the doorstep with me for so long. I'd helped get people into the European Parliament for UKIP. And yet here was I potentially um, high and dry with a decision of, do I go on? Does somebody else get parachuted in? And yet I'd spent 13 months trying to soften the ground in a really, really difficult area. So I basically said, okay, 
I'll keep going. So I stopped circulating the 38 degrees material. I had to accept the council's decision that an incinerator was going to be built. But from that moment on, I think it's fair to say that I knew I was never, ever going to uh, get the public's backing for my, uh, you know, inaugural coming on to becoming a, a fully fledged MP. So I think, who was it? The Tories got the, got the role in the end. And this is one of the constituencies, one of the 32 constituencies out of 650, which has a big question mark, even to this day, of the amount of money that was expended on the winning MPs campaign. So uh, only one person has ever been taken to court, and that was an MP, a Tory MP in uh, Kent, and he was exonerated. So what was I to do? What can you say? You know, I had about £10,000, 20000 Australian dollars to do a campaign for a year and that uh, I had to uh, use uh, newspapers to advertise. I mean, doing a newspaper campaign is about £3,000 at that time. And, of course, the big part is the blues and the reds. They, they don't have the financial constraints that somebody like myself, who was having to fund, fund myself and get other people on board, they, they didn't have those problems, you know, even to the fact that when I stood for Parliament, I actually, on my literature, had to put my home address. Now, you see, when you're working for one of the major parties, you get given a P.O. box number. Somebody else deals with all that. So they, so the people in that constituency, whether they love you or hate you, they don't know where you live. But when you were with UKIP, you were like, um, it was like open season. So it just, I mean... I you just proved, just like other uh, uh, people that are trying to make a difference in society by running uh, for politics, that uh, that the system itself, the system of representative democracy, no longer works. No. And this is and this is a, a great example of it. Um, so that's why I, I brought up the the the, the UKIP reference because I, I just wanted people to know about your past experience with uh, with running or if people. Uh, wanted to run for politics, uh, these are some of the hurdles that they're up against. And essentially, when people, you know, say that, well, let me ask you a question. When people come up to you and ask you, you know, we, you know, I want to change things for the better, um, and I'm going to run as, a, a, as an MP for one of the major parties, or even maybe for a smaller, uh, in, you know, so-called ind uh, independent party, what type of a, advice would you tell them? I saw so many people join the Tory party. In fact, there's somebody on my uh, timeline who, who said, oh, the Tories, they're, they're saying the right, they're making the right noises about mental health. Well, hang on. You know, the, the Tory party, the Labour party, have in, tried to indoctrinate our children over the years, which has undoubtedly in, increased the number of mental health issues we have. And so just because they happen to make uh, a, a throwaway comment or some sort of manifesto statement just before this general election, that makes things all right. No, it doesn't. I mean, you know, why are we looking longer term uh, next year, next September? We've got Stonewall 
dictating to our primary schools and ensuring that all our five-year-olds know all about the LGBT agenda. Well, I don't know about you, uh, Nick, but when I was age five, I was not interested in knowing anything about the LGBT agenda. I probably was more interested in what I was having for lunch and what I was having for tea and who I was going to play out with after school. Yeah, here in Canada, uh, we're having the same issues with the, um, and again, I have nothing against the LGBT community whatsoever, but it seems like our, our liberal politicians, uh, they, they have this, this, uh, this agenda where they want to shove it down everybody's throat. And again, you know, it, uh, it, everybody should be free to, to, to live the way they want to live, and I have no issues with it. But when they're forcing you to do something, then it's, uh, it doesn't become liberal anymore. It's not, it's not freedom. Uh, and again, I want to stress this out that I have no issues with the LGBT community whatsoever. Well, uh, most of the people in the LGBT uh, community do not want this thrust on the five-year-old, right. down five-year-old's throats. Yes. Yes. And, I, and, I'm, I, and actually, you're right. I, I, I have been talking to some people that are, that are gay or, they're, or, or whatever the case may be, lesbian or trans, and, and they don't like it either. They, they want everybody to, to make their own uh, opinions without any uh, government interference. And you're right. I mean, what does a five-year-old know? I mean, the five, you know, someone at that age has to be taught the, the, the basics, the, the fundamentals. I mean, not, not, not the sexual preferences or, or positions or whatever the case may be. So, you know, again, this is, uh, this is what politics does. They, it's a one-size-fits-all solution, you know. Um, and uh, I, I wish people would, would start waking up and realizing that, you know, the, the representative system is, uh, is a failure, no matter where you live. It's, it's, uh, it has failed for many, many years, and it will continue to fail. Um, now, I've, I've seen a lot of your videos, Caroline, and, and you do a fantastic job with, you know, passing out the information. A lot of the information you pass out is, is, is absolutely uh, astounding. Now, what, what are your uh, stance? What's your stance on direct democracy? Oh, I thought you might ask me that. Well, of course, you, you remember I um, was interviewed by Mike over in Australia. He's a big That's advocate. Right. And uh, I just, I, I know I'm not going to vote in this next uh, general election. And, uh, you, you know, anybody watching, if you are part of a, a party, you go to the doorstep, you say, this is my manifesto, this is what I represent, do you like it or lump it, sort of thing. That's the bottom line. And, and direct democracy is quite different to that. I mean, originally, I was an advocate for having independent MPs. So those are the people who were supposed to take back to Parliament what their overall constituents really wanted. So I guess, I don't, I mean, I don't know what's going to happen. The Houses of Parliament is up for grabs. It could just turn into a museum. The direct democracy seems, we need to have a, a banner to, uh, to go behind, to unite. And I don't see having, uh, I've been made well aware of the, leading people in the yellow vest have been sponsored by Mossad and other organizations in the UK to uh, circumvent the truth, if you like. So we have to 
work with some sort of banner and I see that only direct democracy appears to be the banner where people can go behind, not really have to commit themselves to their innermost um, wants or needs, but I think it's more of a community situation where we don't actually need a parliament because I don't think we're going to have a parliament anyway in the next year or so with the impact of the Lisbon Treaty. Yeah, I totally agree with you 100%. And going back to France with the Yellow Vest movement, it, it has been co-opted by many, many groups, especially here in Canada. We had uh, a Yellow Vest uh, rally out west. And essentially what it was, it was, it was a bunch of uh, right-wingers uh, that were um, – uh, Basically, um, they were petitioning, or not not really petitioning, but they were uh, using the Yellow Vest movement in support of oil and gas energy. So it wasn't even about the RIC or about direct democracy. It had actually nothing to do with uh, uh, to do with that. It was actually about supporting oil and gas because if anybody um, who's not from Canada, a lot of our uh, gas and petroleum comes from uh, uh, provinces like uh, Alberta. So. You have to really be careful when you hear a yellow vest because the actual original intent of the yellow vest was to implement direct democracy. And again, you don't have to take my word for it. You can actually watch videos by Vanessa Bealey. Uh, I believe she's from, uh, from England also. She's an uh, independent journalist. And she said that the reason why there is a yellow vest is not necessarily because of the gas tax. That was probably the final straw that broke the camel's back. But it's because the, the majority of French people want direct democracy. They want the RIC. Uh, and they n no longer need political parties to uh, facilitate the, uh, you know, uh, the politics. They, they want the people to handle, uh, handle that because of, uh, you know, because of these uh, austerities that are happening in France and all over the world that, again, are facilitated by corporations. And they use the politicians to, uh, to essentially put them in play. So, yeah, we, you know, people have to really be careful and they have to do the research with the Yellow Vest and they have to be careful which groups they associate themselves. Just because they're called the Yellow Vest doesn't necessarily mean um, they're the Yellow Vest that you think. So that's something that, that I wanted to mention. And I know Mike Holt is, uh, I've, I've, I've spoken to Mike and he's a great guy and he is all about direct democracy for sure. So he's uh, totally legit. Now, well, Caroline, I want. About it. The, the, when I was standing for UKIP, uh, one of the aspects on their manifesto in 2015 was a support of fracking. And uh, that uh, sort of polarized people on the doorstep. And at the time, I really didn't understand the potential impact of fracking until much later on. And then I thought, well, hang on. So we're forcing, as, as, as a political party, fracking down the throats of the potential electorate. But this was something that actually the Tory party really wanted. So we were like, um, I don't know, lambs to the slaughter. People were saying, we like your policies, but we don't like the policy of fracking. And now I'm, I'm, I'm not sure that I like fracking either. And at the start of this general election, I don't know if you're aware, but uh, Boris Johnson and the Tory party had said, oh, we're, we're not going to do fracking anymore. And then three days into the uh, election campaign, they said, oh, well, you know, we changed our minds. It, it might not be. We might still allow it. I mean, it's like Boris Johnson said, 
uh, on one of his days of campaigning, he said, I'm not going to have a drink until at the end of the election. 20 minutes later, he get, he's, he's pictured with a pint. So this is how fragile and how so uh, stupid the, that, you know, people support these people. They're literally laughing in your face. And I, I, I just don't know. I mean, I was, I, I, I was reading through several newspapers today, the Sunday Times, the Observer and the Daily Mail. And, you know, people say, well, why are you reading mainstream? But there's always going to be some good content in each of those newspapers. It's, it's for you to find it and for you to join the dots. And I, I read um, a, an article by Liam Fox. Now, Liam Fox is a disgraced minister. But despite him being a great disgraced minister, he actually was our trade minister from 2016 to 2019. This is the sort of parliament we have. It's full of disgraced people, but they just pick themselves up, or rather the establishment picks themselves up and then continues with them. So you've got Liam Fox, who had, with his boyfriend at the time, had been doing all these trade deals, going on these uh, meetings all over the world, and uh, these meetings hadn't necessarily been approved. And it was really only the Guardian newspaper that covered this. You see, this is how they split the left and the right. So many right-wingers would never read the Guardian. So they wouldn't be aware that Liam Fox had been allegedly doing all these untoward activities. But yet, you know, he then gets rewarded with, um, you know, being 2016 to 2019, being our trade minister and being an authority, you know, writing articles in the Times, just like Boris Johnson does. I mean, what's it about? It's like you're a, if you're a failure or rather you're a chosen person who chooses to fail and not do the right thing you are rewarded. So I'm not saying, you, you, you know, they are chosen. I, mean, I was reading about the Committee of 300 again today. Are you familiar with the Th Committee of 300? That's it, I am, yes. So you've got the Illuminati. Um, it's, it's not the top notch, but it's pretty high on the agenda of um, who's influential in the world. And they're probably the, like the second layer down. And you've got the 300 top names include Queen Elizabeth II, Prince Philip, uh, Prince Charles, Princess Anne, and uh, Prince William. And then you've got people who've been uh, associated with the Bank of England, like Mervyn King, and you've got Mark Carney. And then you've got, who else have you got? Uh, people like David Cameron, who was our uh, Prime Minister, together with Nick Clegg, and George Osborne, who was a Chancellor of Exchequer. All these people, they may get ridiculed in the press, but at the end of the day, they're part of the who governs the world. So who's laughing now? No, I totally agree with you. And, uh, you know, uh, President Obama, when he ran two terms, you know, he, he campaigned on hope and change. So, you know, all Americans at that time were suffering. You know, again, he took over a bad economy and it's not like he made it better. He made it actually worse. Um, but you know, instead of, um, instead of jailing the bankers, like the, uh, like the people of Iceland did, uh, and what he did was he actually rewarded them by bailing them out. 
And uh, now, uh, you know, since he's retired, he's no longer in politics. He's still he's still involved somewhat, some way, maybe to endorse certain candidates. But he's now on a speaking engagement, and, and he's pulling in roughly maybe uh, uh, I don't know four to five hundred thousand uh, dollars per speaking event. Uh, maybe a little bit less, maybe a little bit more. But the the point of the matter is, is that you know he did his job, not for the people. But he did his job for the donors, and now the donors are uh, are uh, rewarding him now. And apparently now he just you know purchased a a multi million dollar mansion somewhere in the United States. I can't remember where. But the point of the matter is, is again, you know, representative democracy is is such a hypocrisy. It's not representative. It's not democracy. At the end of the day, the people have to stand up and 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 speak out. I mean, that's what democracy is all about. When you get or when you uh, consult with the people. And that's not happening now, uh, no matter where you are, Canada, uh, England, UK, uh, states, it's all the same. These people are just, they're just, um, um, they're just basically, uh, uh, what's the word, uh, hired, uh, hired guns, I guess, for, for the establishment, for the, for the, uh, multi corporations. And, uh, and I know England's, I know England is, is, is really bad. The poverty is, uh, is, is pretty bad in England. Here in Canada, it's, it's really getting bad, uh, also. And a lot of people are suffering. And, um, I don't know, Caroline. I mean, I've seen your work and it's great work, but, uh, do you actually, do you actually see people starting to to come around? Maybe they're they're starting to become awake. Well, it's funny you should say that because one of the guys on Facebook said to me last night, Caroline, he said, uh, "I don't see your posts anymore on Facebook," and I said, "Well, no, because I've been shadow banned. I've been shadow banned for probably best part of two months now, and I'm not allowed to post until." March of next year and I know what will happen in March of next year I'll probably do a video I'll put it into four groups and that'll be I'll be banned for another six months so uh, it's it's the end and I know other people have, have tried uh, you know different profiles but of course they can track you with a VPN so but the success what I saw last night was a guy saying well sorry to hear that um, but keep going don't give up he said, I have learned virtually all this new stuff from your videos and your videos only. And I thought, wow, that really, really um, has impacted on somebody's life. But it's not just that. I mean, I was very brave to uh, put my head above the parapet and do a few Lisbon Treaty videos at the beginning of the year, February, March, April time. And that was... Although the Lisbon Treaty had been signed 10 years ago, well, in 2007, 12 years ago, it came into effect on the 1st of December 2009. And that was with ourselves and the European Union. And that basically put us into a total different ball game and put us underneath the EU constitution. So that's why we're never going to get any um, justice through our court system. And the number of spin-offs from people actually me going in and leading the charge to open up the conversation to why is nobody talking about the Lisbon Treaty? I mean, I ended up with one of the videos I did uh, has had 470,000 hits. Now, if you could have just got a pound for every hit, why would I be bothered about politics? But of course, you don't get paid. And that was Facebook. But 
that just shows I will never get that number of hits again because it will now be engineered that it will never, ever happen. I can't share into groups. And, uh, you know, as I say, a third of the Brexiteers seem to have just fallen by the wayside. But to think that almost half a million, I guess essentially British people, will have seen what I've had to say, you know, on both sides, but mainly on the Brexit side. That must have had an impact because you had all these other people then saying, right, I'm going to be brave enough and talk about the Lisbon Treaty. So that's an impact, positive impact, I hope. Again, I've seen you on Facebook and we've chatted and, and I've seen the videos and uh, you are definitely uh, making an impact on a lot of people. So and a lot of people are paying attention for sure. Oh, and you I'm saw really happy. Jewsbury. Do you remember when I spoke in Jewsbury? Jewsbury is a, a big Muslim town in Yorkshire. And it's not ever so far away from where I was born. But you see, you have a lot of flight out of that particular area. And uh, there's obviously a lot of people that are still impacted. It's big on the grooming gangs. And of course, historically, you know, the police have turned a blind eye. And the locals, they're, they're called a group called Yorkshire Patriots. Uh, a guy, Dave North, uh, leads the Yorkshire Patriots. And he invited me to speak a year ago in Scarborough, which is another part of Yorkshire. So I went along there in, in the October and it was in the snow and there were more police than there were patriots. And I just thought, oh, my gosh, have I done the right thing? But I just talked about Melanie Shaw and her incarceration and the prison in the UK about telling the truth. She she has a, a good idea on which MPs, which judges have been um, involved in paedophilia grooming etc so this is not muslims uh, grooming now this is white grooming and then so a year later they invite me back they're going to different towns each time so i go to a place called jewsbury which is actually translated as davidstown but uh, i would say most of the people now are muslim in that town so that's in the uk so I, I speak, they've had to, you know, tell the police that they're organising a Yorkshire Patriots event. So all the police from the whole of West Yorkshire, so that's a, a well, I say a big quarter, if that's possible, of the whole of Yorkshire, a huge number of police attended that event, allegedly to stop any trouble. So they vastly outnumbered the patriots who were attending, those police helicopters overhead. The locals were minding their own business, but they stopped to listen at the other side of two police cordons. And so the police had to stand and listen to that speech, whether they liked it or not. And of course, I talked about grooming. I talked about paedophilia. I talked about it be um, not just in the judicial judicial system, but it, with the police as well. So you can imagine how they must have felt because there must have been some of them thinking, oh, my gosh, she's talking about us. And they couldn't run. They couldn't hide. They had to be there. So um, that was, the, you know, I had a captive audience. For once, I had a bigger audience that I would normally get. Well, Caroline, I just want to say, uh, I just want to say, keep up the great work. You're you're doing a, a fantastic job of uh, you know spreading the truth. So, 
And I want to invite people uh, onto YouTube uh, to uh, Caroline's channel, which is called Caroline uh, Stevens Seeking the Truth. And I want to thank you, Caroline, for doing this. Thank you for having me on your show. Thank you so much, Caroline.